Good to be with you today. My name is Lily Bakara Piper, and you are listening to my little show called Uproot. I'm sure that you are tuning in today really aware of all the many things that are happening in this world. And in the last few weeks, on top of the pandemic, we have, as an entire world, again hit by an issue that no one can escape. The Black Lives Matter movement was born in the United States in 2014 after the death of Michael Brown. And when George Floyd was killed in the end of May in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA, the entire world responded. Many of you, as my friends and members of my community, have reached out to me to have conversations about what both the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. has meant, what it has meant as a worldwide movement. And I've had so many conversations the last few weeks that have meant a lot to me. I have also been out in the streets here in Nairobi, um, organizing with friends, organizing with fellow activists, and raising our voice around ending police brutality here in Kenya, which I've had the privilege to call my home the last nine years. So wherever you're listening to this episode, be it in Kenya or elsewhere in the world, I'm sure that you've been touched and know people who are being touched by this movement. And I hope that you are engaging in some way, whether it's intellectually and trying to understand the issue. So many books by Black authors are now on the bestseller list. Or maybe you're just sitting with friends or your kids or people in your community or socially distant sitting with those people trying to make sense of where we are as a world and where we are as a country in the U.S. And certainly we're thinking about where we are as residents of Kenya. Um, in the 27, 28 episodes that I've done on Uproot, I've never done one where it's just me talking. I've had the good fortune of interviewing friends and authors and artists and human rights activists and regular folk, parents and teachers and you know wonderful people in my community about the topics that matter to them. But today, I just wanted to talk about what Black Lives Matter means to me. Because over the next several weeks, I'm going to start a new series that talk about the different parts of Black identity and Blackness that matter. It's not just our lives that matter. Our joy matters. Our research matters. Our history matters. Our parenting matters. Our culture matters. And somehow, in the moment where an entire world is responding to violence, it is so important to me that violence is not the definition of what Blackness is, or it is not the touch point where people begin to understand Blackness. So here on Uproot, I'm going to be working on a series and bringing in a lot of voices to explore the many beautiful aspects of what it means to me to be Black in 2020 as an Ethiopian, as a Kenyan resident, as an American citizen, and all the ways that my Blackness shows up. And I wanted to take time to introduce this series by just talking about the ways that Blackness has been touching me and what I've been thinking about in the wake of George Floyd's death. And I've been thinking about a lot of things because if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that I am the proud mother of four amazing kids, two sons and two daughters. My husband 
is African-American and the descendant of enslaved persons, as well as being the descendant of potentially slave owners. He is biracial, Black and white. And so in our family, talking about race and identity has been from day one. We are not new to this. We're not new to thinking about how we show up in the world or what it means to be an immigrant or to be darker skinned or to be fair skinned and all that that matters. And there are a couple of things that rise to the top for me as I sit with the heaviness of this moment. First thing I want to talk to you about is because I live in a global and international community, one refrain that I've heard in the past that's kind of seeped into the conversation now too is that Black Lives Matter is a Black or U.S. issue. It is an American issue. It is not something that touches the borders of Europe or Australia or South America or Asia. But if you have been studying anti-racist work or movements around equity and inclusion and diversity, you will know full well how every single continent and community on this world is touched by issues of racism. Of course, it might look a bit different and more nuanced based on the history and the place where people are, but there's not a single place that's not touched by it. Many of you will remember the World Cup when France won a few years ago. And many of you might remember Trevor Noah's assessment of the World Cup win from France, where he said basically, Africa won the World Cup because the French national team was overwhelmingly Black and had representatives throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. The French didn't like that. In fact, I believe the ambassador in the United States wrote him a pretty strong-worded letter that the French believed that they did not identify with race. And the French in particular have for years tried to navigate around race, in going as far um, as having to trying to pass a law in 2013 that would remove the word race from the Constitution. It didn't pass, but it speaks to this powerful sense of colorblindness that more people are comfortable with than wrestling and sitting with and recognizing and, of course, in the end, having to make amends for their past. France is representative of what's happening throughout Europe. And for those of us who live on the continent, we are well-versed in how neocolonialism is still very much alive and well. It shows up in the places people live. In Nairobi, our city is very segregated, both by class and by race. It shows up in the way that people interact with uh, employment, how they staff their homes, who they hire, who they don't hire, what their employees wear. One of the things that absolutely breaks my heart and drives me mad is that here in Nairobi, when people are moving from, you know, and this is primarily people who are residents of Nairobi and not Kenyan nationals, But when they're leaving their post here in Nairobi to their new city, they will post on their Facebook page or in their school community page that their nanny or their driver is now available and looking for new employment. In some ways, that's a harmless effort to find somebody employment. But what bothers me so deeply is that they'll include a picture of that person smiling happily. And to me, it just speaks of kind of the minstrel shows from the United United States, where Black people were put on display for the consumption of a white audience. And while the audience and those Facebook posts might be racially diverse, that kind of presentation of the Black body to hire, to engage, to employ, in my mind, is a remnant of colonial history of this country and this region. Outside of just Europe's impact and their engagement with Black Lives Matter, which we know is yet to evolve and has many, many more lengths to go, we can look at Brazil 
and we can look at the alarming statistics from that country, where in the last decade of the 9,000 people killed by police in Rio de Janeiro, 75%, over 75% of them were Black men, and yet they only make up less than half of the population. But 75% of the deaths, not the arrests, but the deaths were Black men. If you look at 2019, a more recent history in Rio de Janeiro, 80% of the people killed by police in the first half of the year last year were Black. Half, 80%, excuse me, were Black people. Brazil has been wrestling with their racial injustices and racial discrimination for years. And this movement that has started in the United States has found welcome ground in a country that has some of the most striking visual representations of the transatlantic slave trade and the remnants of that to this day. If we look at Asia, here in Nairobi, one of the stories that's been headline news throughout the pandemic has been the treatment of East Africans in China as a result of the coronavirus. How the Chinese were refusing service, taking um, Africans out of their homes and discriminating against them and suspecting them of carrying the virus even though the virus originated in China. And yet, once again, Black people and Black bodies were targeted and discriminated and easily picked up as being a threat to the community and to the society. In Australia this week, I saw a good friend there in Perth who was helping to organize a protest. And Australia, we might look at and think, huh, what's happening there? But if you know anything about their history, you'll know that Indigenous people now only represent 2% of the population in Australia. Once upon a time, they were the only people there. But now, due to the genocide, really, of colonialism, they're only 2%. Yet, Indigenous people make up 26% of the prison population. Every single part of this globe has an issue with the Black body. And every single country and every single leader and teacher and parent and citizen should be engaging in this movement and in this moment. Because Black people are everywhere in this world and the systems that oppress us are alive and well wherever you go. But I know statistics are not what's gonna move you. Statistics are not gonna be what maybe you remember from this conversation and, and statistics are not why I wanted to have this conversation. The reason I wanted to have this conversation because when something like this happens again and again in the United States and we know that George Floyd's death was preceded by Breonna Taylor's murder, was preceded by Ahmaud Arbery's murder, was preceded by Chris Cooper's attempted murder, not to mention 400 years of oppression. The reason I wanted to talk about this is not the t statistics. The reason I wanted to talk about this is the way that violence against the Black body and systems of oppression that continue to exist have hijacked our lives and our peace for centuries and decades. And yet Black people remain and survive and thrive and create. But when this happens on a very real micro level, in the past it would be a headline and it would be a Facebook post and there might be a little bit of outrage that people would put out there. For me and my family, it would be a quiet dinner conversation. It would be tears. It would be questions. It would be real fear that we would feel in our bones. It would be prayers to God asking why and how long and where are you and why does this exist and persist the way it does? 
these headlines for you may pass, but for us, we sit with them and they interrupt our parenting. They interrupt our marriages. They interrupt a normal Sunday afternoon that we had may have spent taking a nap or taking it easy. And instead on that Sunday afternoon, now we are organizing a protest or we are making signs or instead of celebrating a Friday night and going out to happy hour, we are now in Zoom calls and in Zoom meetings planning for where we're going to meet and where we're going to protest. This violence is a thief. It's a thief against Black families and Brown families and Indigenous communities. And now the entire world is participating. But before this moment, primarily who was in the streets, primarily who was having the hard conversation and reading the books and educating our kids, was people of color. And that will always be something we will live with. It will be something we shoulder and we carry forward. But at the same time, as that is heavy and that is hard, there was a beautiful article this week in The Atlantic, which I recommend you subscribe to. It's a United States publication, but they have some killer writing happening right now. And there was an article in The Atlantic by Professor Imani Perry, who's a professor of African-American studies at Princeton. And the title was, Racism is Terrible, Blackness is Not. Whew, that just lifted me in a way that I needed to be lifted. In this article, um, Professor Perry just celebrates Blackness. She celebrates the Black family. She celebrates the Black legacy and culture, celebrations and holidays, the way that we continue to rise, and the way that we, in this moment, want to say more loudly and publicly, and I think it's a rallying cry that we need, that thank you for your concern. However, we love being Black. This is not a point of shame or this is not a point of like heaviness or a burden that we have to carry. It is a gift. And I remember being a kid and growing up and struggling with racism in the United States and my parents being immigrants, not knowing that it would exist in the ways that it did. And I remember being a kid in elementary school and crying and praying to God and asking him, why did you make me black? And you know what I felt like God said back to me? I trusted you to be black. You get to be Black. That's my gift to you. I didn't always understand it as a kid, but it was so clear. Probably one of the few times I would say I felt I could hear the voice of God, that he, God said to me, you get to be Black. And here as an adult, I understand what God is saying. I wouldn't change the shades of Blackness that are represented in my family. I wouldn't change the beauty and the culture and the history that we carry into every room and classroom and playground and musical performance and the way that we show up, whether it's a headline in the moment or if it's a subtext. Being Black was and is and always will be beautiful. And I'm so grateful for Professor Perry's work and the, and the kind of rallying cry she's putting out there for us to respond to. Racism is terrible. Systematic oppression is terrible. Police brutality is terrible. Being Black, being an immigrant, being Kenyan, being Ethiopian, being a woman, those things are beautiful and powerful. So friends, if you are a listener to Uproot, I just want to invite you to subscribe and get like positioned to consume the next several episodes in the series that I have for you. Because I want to talk about everything from hair to research and data to parenting to the joy, all of it, all of the things that are the blackness that matters. 
because our lives in their fullness and the ways that they exist matter start to finish. And I am so grateful for the places where I've had the opportunity to speak about this. And I hope you'll join me in these conversations. I hope you will send me topics that you want us to discover and to explore and to talk about. Send me your ideas. Send me suggestions for guests. I've got a couple lined up already that I'm quite excited about, but I'm open to your ideas. I want to talk about what it's like to be Black in an international school space outside of the United States. What, if anything, is the responsibility of these school systems outside of the U.S. to engage in a Black Lives Matter movement? I want to talk about what it means to be an ally. What does that really mean? And there's all this new dialogue about whether or not that's even what we should be striving for. Is allyship really where we want to land? I want to talk about the joy and the grief of being a Black mother and what it means for me as I think about sending my six foot two tall, beautiful sons into the United States in the coming years for university, or as I'm sending my Black daughter in just a very few weeks into the United States for university. What does that mean to let go? Have I equipped them? Do they have what they need? But the very first episode that's going to be coming out next week is Black Joy Matters. Because I want to start off this series in the spirit of Professor Perry, that being Black is beautiful and joyful. And joy is just as much a part of our story and our journey as anything else. So, friends, thank you for listening to Uproot. If you're new here, welcome. I'd love for you to subscribe, get connected, listen in, be in touch, tweet, email, send me a message. You can reach me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Uproot and Lil, L-I-L-L, on Facebook at Uproot the Podcast, or if you prefer to go old school, just send me an email, uprootthepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find everything on my website, which is uprootthepodcast.com. Thanks for listening, friends. Keep at it until it becomes rooted and stay tuned and let's talk soon.